Warning, this podcast may contain upsetting descriptions of crime. It is not suitable for children under the age of 13. Listener caution is advised. Today we're off down south to the Mediterranean city of Nice on the French Riviera. Nice, known for the hot summers and mild winters, its promenade des Anglais, and artists like Chagall and Matisse, has a population of about 340,000. During the 1920s, Nice once again became as fashionable as in the late 1700s, and the hotels on the seafront were totally refurbished. The main seafront road was rebaptized, the Promenade des Anglais, the walkway of the English, and owes its name to the many upper-class English holidaymakers who visited in the latter part of the 18th century, like Queen Victoria and her son Edward VII. In the 1970s, the south of France was struggling against the influence of the Mafia, who had their fingers stuck in many pies. One of those pies was the gambling and casino business that flourished in the latter half of the 70s on the French Riviera. Though my story today is not really a tale about mafia shenanigans, it is the backdrop, and in part maybe to blame, for what happened to Agnès Leroux. At the end of October 1977, Agnès Leroux, young, pretty and rich, hadn't been heard from in days. Heiress to one of the most beautiful Art Deco-style casinos on the French Riviera, Le Palais de la Méditerranée, Agnès wasn't answering the phone in her apartment in Angel Bay, Nice, and her family and friends were starting to worry. Agnès had just started to get back on her feet after many months of deep depression and two suicide attempts. René, her mother, had spoken to her recently, on October the 26th, and thought that she sounded fine. Agnès was even preparing to leave the next day for a weekend break. On the morning of October the 27th, Agnès apparently left her apartment got into a Range Rover and, before leaving for a trip, went by the shop where she worked to say hi. Annie, a friend who worked with Agnès, was interviewed in Fête Entrée de la Cuisine in 2004 and said that Agnès had just been to the hairdressers and said that she was doing okay and that they'd speak when she returned. Weeks passed and nobody had any news. No telephone calls no postcards. Her friends were thinking that she probably just needed some space. Agnès was headstrong and rebellious, despite her obvious fragility at this time. Her brother Jean-Charles said that it wasn't out of the ordinary for her to go off on trips, but that it wasn't normal for her not to call. She called him at least twice a week. 
The local family finally went to the police, who told the family that in France, an adult had the right to go missing. They put her name on a list of missing people, and that was it. Months passed, Christmas, a holiday where all the family got together, came and went with still no news from Agnes. Born on the 14th of September 1948 in neuilly sur seine just outside Paris, Agnès Gloria Leroux was the youngest of four children born to René and Henri Leroux. In 1967, Henri passed away, leaving René and their four children 50% shareholders in the Palais de la Méditerranée, the biggest casino in Nice. When Agnès disappeared in 1977, there was what the media called at the time the War of the Casinos, Jean-Dominique Fratonnet and the mayor of Nice at the time, Jacques Médecin, wanted to create a Las Vegas of Europe, a French Riviera style. Fratonnet, known as the Napoleon of the Green Bays, was at the head of the casino, the Roule, and the Palais de la Méditerranée was its main competitor. Fratonnet and Médecin badly wanted to get their hands on the Palais, to demolish it and build a bigger and flashier casino and hotel complex that would rake in the money. There was one major obstacle though, René Leroux, Agnès's mother. René was not at all willing to give up her parts in the casino and became the target of a campaign of harassment from persons unknown. She found bullets at her office, was assaulted in her car. The casino suffered an accident and organised brawls went off in the nightclub, nightclub situated inside the ballet. René claimed that everything was done so she would sell, which she wouldn't do. She explained in the French true crime documentary Fait entrer l'accusé in 2004 that the Mafia wanted to control over the casinos to run the drug money. Near the end of the 70s, the French connection was coming to a close but the Mafia was certainly still involved with drug running at this point in time. Fratoni was a respectable frontman. She said that she would never have sold to the Mafia for no amount of money and made it very clear that she despised the organisation. So, it was in this atmosphere that in February 1978, the Leroux family was persuaded that Agnès had been kidnapped and filed a complaint with the police. Two inspectors were given the case file, Nuguera and Lafargue. They entered Agnès's apartment that had been standing empty for four months. An open mail dating back to October was scattered on the floor when they opened the door. Everything was in its place and it seemed that Agnès hadn't taken much with her. But on the table they found a handwritten note, ink faded by the sun. It said, sorry, my path has ended. I stop here. Everything is good. It was signed Agnès and underneath it said, I want Morris to take care of everything. It looked like a suicide note. Agnès had tried twice to take her own life in the weeks leading up to her disappearance, but
But the detectives were sceptical. Why would she go to all the trouble of making a card disappear? Then herself. It all seemed too neat. A bolo was issued throughout France and Italy with the description of the white and black Range Rover. The police were also looking through the back country surrounding Nice, an environment with endless possibilities into which things and people could vanish easily. Nothing was found. The police had two theories, suicide or foul play. They believed less and less that Agnes had committed suicide. Everyone said that she was better, that she'd got the taste for life back and she'd made plans. They discovered that Agnes, at the time she went missing, was in conflict with her mother and in the months leading up to her disappearance, Agnes and her mother argued a lot, sometimes violently. Agnes wanted to cash in her part of the heritage in the Palais de la Méditerranée, but this was impossible as her parts were inseparable, impossible to sell some without the all. Agnes wanted to live her own life, especially now she was in love, in love with a certain Maurice Agnelli, for whom she was ready to do anything. She needed this money to set up house with him and to help Agnelli, a father of three, with any financial woes he may have had. Agnes went on to do the unthinkable and betrayed her mother and her family. She offered to vote against her mother in the next meeting of the board of directors if Jean-Dominique Fratoni gave her three million francs, that's about 450,000 euros. She did, and the control of the board was handed over to Fratoni and his cronies. At first, the police looked closely at René Leroux in the disappearance of her daughter. They'd heard rumours about Agnès being committed by force to a psychiatric hospital, but this theory was quickly dropped. René was at the origin of the investigation and she was extremely vocal about finding her daughter. They then concentrated on the piss Fratoni, but there too they rapidly came to the conclusion that Fratoni was placed in a difficult situation with Agnès gone. Agnès's affair with Agnelli then became the prime focus of the investigation. Maurice Agnelli was Agnès's lawyer during her divorce in 1975. I'm not sure when they became lovers, but certain they were lovers before she disappeared. In the goodbye note, Agnes wanted Agnelli to look after everything, and the weekend she vanished, she was supposed to be going on holiday with him. Maurice Agnelli was a 40-year-old lawyer, not a well-known lawyer, but he was ambitious and had contacts. He was a member of LICRA, International League Against Racism and Antisemitism, MLAP, Movement Against Racism for Friendship Between People, LDH, Human Rights League, and he'd also founded a lodge within the Freemasons, organisations that made him look like a pretty decent guy. Agnelli was an old friend of the Leroux family. He was even their lawyer at the beginning of the 1970s, before having a falling out with René. He wanted to become the general director of the Palais, but when René Leroux told him no, he stormed away, saying that he'd get revenge. The police thought that part of this vengeance consisted of seducing Agnès, then getting her to vote against her mother and for Fatoni at the board meeting. Friends said that after the vote, Agnès lost all interest in Agnès. 
Proof of this was found in letters she'd written to him. Maurice Agnelli didn't seem very worried about Agnes disappearing. After she'd vanished, he left no messages on her answering machine. The police wondered why, as everyone else in the close circle were extremely worried. One of Agnes's friends went to the police and told them about a conversation she'd had with Agnelli just after Agnes had tried to take her own life the second time. Agnelli had told her that he'd found a note saying that Agnes wanted him to take care of everything. The same turn of phrase written in the undated note found four months later. The police later found a photocopy of this note in a search of Agnelli's offices. They realised that the note found in Agnes's apartment had had the date removed. The police suspected that he'd used the same note to try and point the investigation towards a third and final suicide attempt and away from foul play. Eight months after the disappearance of Agnes, the investigative judge finally authorised the detective to interrogate Agnelli, but surprisingly, with the order not to ask any questions and just to let him give his own statement. Richard Bouazis, the investigative judge who gave this order, defended his attitude in an interview on Fête entre l'accusé, saying that it was all part of his strategy and denied any and all affiliations with Fratone or any organisations that could have protected Agnelli's interests. In June 1977, four months before she disappeared, Agnès and Maurice Agnelli opened each a bank account in Switzerland, both accessible by each other. The three million francs that Fratoni had given Agnès for a vote were deposited. On November the 17th, three weeks after she disappeared, Agnelli transferred part of this sum to his own account and then in February 1978 he took the rest of it. This finally prompted the judge to summon Agnelli again. This time, a real interrogation took place. He refused to answer questions about his relationship with Agnes during his 24 hours of police custody. He didn't even admit to being Agnes's lover, nor having a Swiss bank account, until solid proof was put in front of him. In France, the police can legally hold you for 24 hours without laying any charges, it's called a garde à vue. It can be extended up to 72 hours for some crimes. They then have to tar- charge you or release you. Agnelli did his best to use up this 24 hours without answering many questions. He was extremely suspect because when he did answer a question, he lied. One year after the disappearance of Agnès Leroux, her family and the police were convinced that Agnelli had killed her for her money. In 1978, Agnelli's bank account was blocked by the French justice system and Agnelli is disbarred for malpractice.
Two years after Agnès vanished, the war with the casinos in Nice was still going full swing. Jean-Dominique Fratone, who'd taken over the running of the Palais de la Méditerranée, was doing his best to sink it. Nowadays, casinos make most of the money with slot machines, but back in the day, they were less common, and money was made with big-time gamblers. Of course, these players wouldn't be walking around with wads of cash in the pockets, so they'd have arrangement with the casino's boss for credit or pay-by-check. Fat only stopped all credit arrangements at the Palais and refused to take checks. But on the other hand, his casino, the Roule, situated just across the road from the Palais, continued to do credit and take checks. In ten months, the Palais de la Méditerranée went bust. All that was left was the building itself, a beautiful art deco piece of craftsmanship on the seafront of Nice. Jacques Medsen, mayor of Nice at the time, came swooping in to help his childhood friend, Fratoni, and proposing to buy the building with the intent to construct a massive hotel complex. René Leroux, who still had a say in all this, refused it and went on to get the façade ruled as a classified monument, which meant that demolition was no longer possible. Because Agnolet and Fratone bought Agnolet's vote illegally, they both went under investigation for financial malfeasances and breach of trust. They were both indicted and Fratone ran off to Switzerland. Agnolet, though indicted for financial crimes, was very much still on the police's radar for Agnes's disappearance. But in 1979, an important witness made herself known to the investigators. Françoise Lossure was the other mistress of Agnolet. She gave testimony that exonerated Agnolet, giving him a solid alibi on the weekend when Agnes was thought to have gone missing. She said that they were together all weekend and stated that it was she that went to Geneva with Agnolet on the 27th of October, not Agnès. They stayed in the Hotel de la Paix and on the 28th she went back to Nice and he went up to Paris for a Lycra meeting. In 1980, a new investigative judge was assigned to the case and he wanted to interview Agnolet about the disappearance of Agnès Law but Agnolet had gone off to Canada. He wasn't quite in hiding. He got married in Montreal, a suspected sham marriage, because the witness to this marriage was none other than the witness for his alibi on the weekend when Agnès went missing, Françoise Lossure. She also shared the Swiss bank account with Agnolet. In 1983, six years after Agnès went missing, an international arrest warrant against Agnolet for murder was issued by the judge. Agnolet came back to France and gave himself up. Agnolet was first tried for the malfeasance and breach of trust charges. Fratoni was still on the lam, so Agnolet was alone in the dock. It was a complicated trial with the ghost of Agnès hovering over all the financial deals that Agnolet had carried out. Fratoni, judged in his absence, was given a one-year prison sentence. Agnolet was given an 18-month suspended sentence and he walked out free. The prosecution appealed this sentence and in 1986 he was resentenced to 30 months 
of which only six months were suspended. So he went to prison, but not for Agnes's disappearance. In 1985, the, the case for murder against Agnes was dismissed, even though the judge recognised the fact that only Agnes could have had a hand in her disappearance. He concluded that there wasn't enough proof, especially because there was no body. At this moment in the French justice system, murder had a statute of limitations of 10 years. It's now been changed to 20 years. And to stop a murder case falling uh, into the statute of limitations, someone has to keep filing procedures. Every time some sort of procedure is filed, the clock restarts on the statute of limitations. Anis's mother never stopped filing motions to this effect. So, it's in this context that 16 years after the disappearance of Agnès, René hired a private detective to try and find new elements in the case. He went back to Geneva, to the Hotel de la Paix, uh, wanting to verify Agnès's alibi. He discovered that Françoise Lausseur was alone. Only her name appeared in the hotel's register that weekend. René Leroux immediately filed a complaint with the police against Lossieur and Agnelli for concealment of a corpse, uh, which permitted an interrogation of Lossieur by the investigative judge. In June 1999, Françoise Lossieur recounted her earlier testimony and admitted that she'd lied when she said she was with Agnelli the weekend Agnès went missing. She went on to state that Maurice Agnelli had asked her to say they were together 22 years after Anissa's disappearance, the affair was back in the news, making headlines. Agnolet was now living in Panama and maintained his innocence, claiming that Françoise Lassure was just a bitter ex-wife. They'd been married, then divorced. He came up with a signed document from the hotel, testifying to the fact that two people spent the night at the Hotel de la Paix and another an invoice for a night in a hotel in Paris. These documents seem to have been verified, though uh, signed testimony 22 years after the fact isn't really indisputable proof of anything. In any case, no one seems to know exactly when Agnès disappeared. It could even have been as late as November the 2nd. In the year 2000, a new procurer was put in place in Nice. He restarted the investigations into the Leroux affair and the case was reopened. Searches for Agnès' body were carried out in Agnès' old offices and in two houses that he owned, one in Nice and the other in Chambéry. Nothing was found. Rumours that her corpse had been cast into the concrete pillars of a certain bridge or buried under the tarmac of the Nice airport were totally unsubstantiated. Again, the investigation was running out of steam and money. Though nothing new was discovered, in 2000, Agnelli was indicted for murder and false imprisonment. He was then 60 years old. In 2004, these charges were upgraded to first-degree murder, and in 2006, he was sent before the criminal court of the Alps Maritime. The jury found the prosecution hadn't met the burden of proof and they equited the annually on the benefit of the doubt. 
prosecution appealed uh, this verdict and annually was sent back to court in 2007. This time he was found guilty and ordered to serve 20 years in prison. Annually appealed to the Court of Cassation. The Court of Cassation is the highest appeal court in France, much like the Supreme Court, except that they don't rule on the facts of the case, just on the relevant law. In 2008, his appeal was denied, and in 2009, his lawyers filed an appeal with the European Court of Human Rights. January 10th, 2013, the European Court of Human Rights ruled in Agnelli's favour because the murder accusation was not formally established and the verdict did not have a legal opinion. In French, our motivation. Since 2012, a French criminal court must now publish the motivation in regard to a verdict and the sentencing. The Court of Cassation ordered a third trial for Maurice Agnelli. This third trial was held in early 2014 in the criminal court of ile et vilaine in Rennes, the capital of Brittany, quite away from the French Riviera. During the trial, Agnelli's son, Guillaume, dropped a bombshell. He went to the lead prosecuting lawyer and related how, when he was 14, his father had told him that he killed Agnès with a shot to the head while she was asleep. Allegedly, they were on a camping weekend on the Monte Casino in Italy. He then placed her new body in the forest, threw her belongings in a nearby river. He then parked the Range Rover in a train station's parking lot with the keys in the ignition before taking the train back to Nice. Guillaume Agnolet repeated the same story a few days later in the criminal court of Rennes. Things turned dramatic when Guillaume's mother, Agnolet's first wife, Anilita, was interrogated by video call during the trial. She denied everything, saying that it was an unreal and incredible story. She stated that Guillaume was depressed and had some mental health problems. The Italian police started an investigation into these allegations and started another search in the Monte Casino area. A search had already been carried out there 14 years earlier on a rumour repeated by Françoise Lausseur. Nothing was found this time either. Maurice Agnelli was found guilty of the first degree murder of Agnès Leroux on April the 11th, 2014. The sentence of 20 years was handed down again. He appealed, but this was denied just over a year later. In May of 2015, after three years of civil procedure in the Swiss courts, the Leroux family obtained the restitution of the three million francs that Agnès had received from Fatone in 1977. It had been blocked since 1978 in a Swiss bank account and was now worth, with all the interest, three million euros. The Leroux family, Maurice Agnelli and Fatone's inheritors, had all been in dispute over the money since 2012. 
Jean-Dominique Fratoni died of prostate cancer in 1994 in Switzerland, still in exile after being sentenced in absentia in 1983 and 1985 to five years in prison and 410 million franc fine for tax and custom offences. René Leroux passed away in June of 2006 at the age of 93. In September of 2020, Maurice Agnelli asked for a suspension of his sentence for medical reasons. He was freed on December the 24th and joined his son in New Caledonia, where he died on January the 12th, 2021, at the age of 82. There was a film made in 2014 about the case of Agnès Louvre. If you would like to try and find it, it's called, in French, L'homme qu'on aimait trop or, in English, In the Name of My Daughter. It's directed by André Tiquinet and stars Catherine Deneuve as René Leroux. Agnès Leroux was declared officially dead on April the 12th, 2007. Her body has never been found, nor has her black and white Range Rover. Thank you for listening to True Crime France. You can find photos related to the episodes on True Crime France's Facebook page. You can also ask me questions and talk about the cases. True Crime France is hosted by me, Deb. Writing, research, translations and editing are all done by me. The link to my resources um, can be found in the show notes. If you'd like to donate to the podcast, you can buy me a glass of wine at buymeacoffee.com. The link is in the show notes too. Please join me next time on the 15th of June where I'm not sure where we'll be going. It'll be a surprise. (laughs) See you. Bye.